Welcome to The Prism Effect, a podcast with me, Larry Knoll, lead pastor of The Light in Kent. Just as prisms break light up into its spectral colors, I hope to help you discover the scripture's meaning for your life. I do want to thank uh, Pastor Noel for inviting me to speak here at The Light. It's always a joy and a privilege. And I also want to say I'm just really sensing the Holy Spirit. So I'm hoping you are as well, um, that, that he is going to come. Um, I feel like, again, Tim's prayer just pretty much said everything I wanted to say. And, and so he's the one and Jesus is the one that we're looking towards, right? I'm just, you know, a vessel being used by him. And so I give him all the glory. Um, a few of you have told me um, thus far that you weren't here when I've spoken in the past. And I can't remember if it's once or twice I've spoken, but each time I share, um, I pour my heart out about the love of God but not in the intellectual way, in the emotional way. You know, for so long the church said, you know, we can't go by our emotions, which in part is true because emotions do fluctuate. But we're emotional beings. God made us this way. And we're really called to be that close to him, to picture ourselves lying our heads on his breast, hearing his breath, feeling his heartbeat. That should be the norm and not the exception. Because when you are in his presence, doesn't everything change? Like nothing changes outwardly necessarily, but everything changes within us. Um, the, I want to make sure I don't forget to let you know that you should have Bible scripture notes on your chair. And if you don't, you can pick them up. Um, I'm one of these people. I'm a teacher and you'll see that by my props. Um, and I feel really strongly that it's literally only the word of God and his spirit that changes us. So how many has this happened to where, you know, you go home or you talk to someone and say, wow, church was amazing. A sermon was great. And then they say, okay, well, what was it about? I have no idea. <laughs> so you can forget everything I say, but I want you to have the Bible verses so that you can read them for yourself and on your own and review them and meditate upon them. So that's why I do that um, as an incentive for you to kind of pour through and go back over. Um, so I'm going to be sharing lots of scriptures today. And the one that I always start with is Matthew 22, 34 through 39, where Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. And of course, we all know it. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I really like to point that out because it's super important that we know that we are worthy to be loved. Because if we weren't, Jesus wouldn't have died for us, right? And so we're worthy to be loved because of what he did 
on Calvary. And and that should, you know, blow us away just right off the bat. I think I could just stop there. Um, and then the second one is like it. We are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And one of the things I'm going to be talking about today, which because this is, you know, mostly relevant, we understand this, but we're going to go over some tough things today. And we're going to talk about things about how we are also called to love our enemies. And um, so many times we read the Bible verses, we give them mental assent. But how many of us know that doing the word is totally different than hearing it only? Exactly. Especially that one. So this is going to be a little bit more of an exhortation. Um, And it's interesting because uh, somewhere in my notes I'm going to talk about uh, where I feel like the American church has missed it. And I think a great message, it's not my title, but a great message is, a great title is, it's not about me. And it's funny because I got a text from a friend in Florida last night. She goes to a Messianic congregation. And she said, Debbie, I want you to know that the rabbi titled his message, It's Not About Me. And I'm like, woo, I think we're kind of getting there. All right, but we're, we're kinda, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So I'm going to do two what I call shameless plugs, uh, only because I believe that they will be of benefit if you're interested. So one of them is that my husband, George, and I lead a Bible study on the second Saturday of every month. It's called the Faith, Hope, and Love Bible Study. And why I bring it up is, one, we'd love for you to come. If you're interested at all, uh, we meet at Panera Bread over at Chapel Hill at 4.30. Talk to me after if you're interested. But I bring it up because we have been studying 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I think it's been about a year. And we're like not even anywhere close to being done. And that's because we literally take it apart word by word, verse by verse, as opposed to just listening to it. You know, what does it mean? Uh, You know, love suffereth long, love is patient. So, um, and that's what I'm going to do today. So I'm going to kind of take apart some things that I'm going to guess you've heard, but that I'm really, really, really going to emphasize that you make an intentional commitment to put into practice and not just, what's the speed reading course? I can't remember. Evelyn, someone so had a speed reading course when I was growing up and they always advertise. So this is not about speed reading, okay? Like how many verses you can read in a day or get through the Bible in a year. No, the, the thing about the Bible is that if something is speaking to you, if God has got your attention on something, you need to stay there. Until you get it. Okay? Because again, it's about putting it into practice and application. The second shameless plug number two, and you'll hear me referring to it from time to time, is the book that I have written, which is called Chesed, which is the Hebrew word for mercy. And um, it is kind of a lot of little stories, anecdotal stories, and a lot of Bible about how God redeemed my life, took me, as the songs we sang, you know, uh, from 
from shame and darkness into his light, even when I didn't know who he was. He was pursuing me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you um, to close your eyes because I'm going to read Psalm 23. But I'm going to read it in a different translation so that hopefully you may pick up on some things differently than you normally would if you were just reciting it in your own mind. Okay? All right. So this is the New Living Translation. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and protect me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So that last verse, 23.6, where it says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love, that word is translated lots of different ways. You've heard it in different translation. Your love and mercy. And that's, you know, the uh, why I titled my book what I did. Because God's love and mercy, his chesed, followed me all the days of my life, even when I didn't know who he was. And I'm no you know, rare thing. I mean, that should be the case for everyone. And the fact that he pursues you, you thought you were pursuing him. Uh Uh-uh. He's been pursuing you. What a radical thought. What a radical thought. And it should even influence our thoughts and our mind and our prayers for those in our lives who are not yet in Christ. He's pursuing them. I know we may may not look like it, but I always say, if you saw me the day before I gave my heart to the Lord, you would not have ever said that woman is going to be a Christian because I was, you know, breaking down the walls of hell because no one had ever told me about Jesus. And when they did, I literally said, you're making this up. I was... Like 17, 18 years old, a junior in college, having grown up in New York, and I was in West Virginia where I became a Christian. And when someone told me that, I was like, this can't be true. Why has no one ever told me this before? I had no witness. So please remember that with your unsaved loved ones. And I know it can be frustrating for people at work. Please remember Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you. And we are called to be his witness, his mercy to a lost and dying world. You'll hear that kind of, you know, repetition of that message because 
as I said, and I got became a Christian in 1977. If no one had ever told me, where would I be? And I and I do cry. I cry. I never stop crying because I know from whence I've come, and it never, ever, ever weakens that desperate for Him. I never want to go back there. I never want to, you know, deal and think about those, you know, very depressing and difficult times that we've all gone through. All right. So with that, as the basis of my message that God pursues us with his mercy and his love, um, I kind of like a title. I think it was actually a sermon that Pastor Noel gave. And I think maybe I heard that maybe Alex is the one who coined this. I heard Alex that God doesn't move a parked car. And I love that. I love that, right? Because, yeah, we're always supposed to be moving and venturing and seeking and praying, you know, and that's how God gets a hold of us. Unfortunately, some people, um, some Christians... Uh, there's a chapter in my book called Spiritual Cruise Control. You know, that God spoke to me. And, and what he said was, some people just said it and forget it. Okay, well, I'm a Christian. I've, you know, I'm going to heaven and then just live like the devil, you know. Or I know God will forgive me. No, 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 no. We constantly need the Holy Spirit, the accelerant to move ahead, to allow God to move that car. Wasn't there a program, move that bus? Oh no, that's something else. Okay. All right. So Romans 12, one and two. Therefore, I say, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you wouldn't be sitting here on a Sunday morning if that isn't your heart's cry. That you be that person that his good, pleasing, and perfect will is being demonstrated in, is being lived out. That's what we all want. However, you know, we, we have this flesh. <laughs> we have these things that kind of want to get in our way and do get in our way. And that's why we constantly need to be coming before God and the Holy Spirit. And I love your three tenets of you know, burn and this and that, because it's great. It's, it's perfect, you know, to get fed and then to give the word out. It's, and you guys are awesome in the ministry you guys do in, in Kent and for Kent. It's powerful and I'm grateful for it. So that means dying daily. Okay. So what does that mean? And I will have to tell you, this probably isn't the most popular sermon that you're going to hear preached, all right? Because it is sacrificial. And Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when we think about that, when we think about the cross, and again, I'm not going to pick up all my little, but I am a teacher, so all of these are visual aids. So there is a cross up here. So we tend to think, you know, a cross, people wear it as jewelry and they have it on t-shirts and, you know, it, it's kind of like looked at sort of pleasantly because we associate it with Jesus's death and resurrection. But let me give you a modern day analogy. It would be like wearing an electric chair as a necklace or on a t-shirt. The cross represents death. And so we need to remember that that is what we are called to do and to be. But we also need to remember that we cannot do any of this on our own. Because if we attempt to, you know, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. Guess what? You're giving thought to it, right? And so we must always grant the Holy Spirit the right. You know, he's, he's a gentleman, right? He doesn't make us, God doesn't make us do anything. And so it's up to us to invite him, to allow him into those places of our heart that need crucified, that need resurrected, that need to be brought to life. So I want to tell you, in addition to the Bible verses, on the table on your way out, you'll see I have some other copies of things. And one is Romans 6. I have not included it in the message, but basically it's sort of a summary of this message. Um, so, you know, again, probably something I hope that you'll want to take and read and meditate upon and think about, you know, as we're going uh, forward. So I've actually titled the message, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. And thank you whoever did that graphic. That was really cool. All right. So I have this little mirror here. And I apologize if you thought that maybe I was doing an expose on Disney movies. I'm not. <laughs> the truth is, is that we're all familiar with that, you know, Snow White Disney movie. And I'll date myself because when my daughter was growing up, most of these movies were, you know, in vogue and we watched. And so when the queen first asked the mirror, who's the fairest of them all, the mirror answered that she was. And she was thrilled, puffed up her ego. However, later, when she asked and Snow White came on the scene, the mirror answered Snow White. And she was enraged. And I think that's a really good analogy because if we are honest... There have been times, I will speak for myself, can't speak for anybody else, but there have been times of great duress and distress that I have gone through where I have been enraged. Where I didn't want that test. I didn't want that suffering. I didn't think that God was paying attention. <laughs> And 
you know, the truth is, again, it's not like we can like stuff that. We can't. It's how we feel. So it's learning through it. And what is God doing? So in my case, and I believe I've shared this story before, but I also believe it's worth repeating. My greatest test, I've had lots, but this one was probably the one where God really got my attention. And I was working out at the medical school and I had a boss. And if I could have named the chapter in the book, the boss from hell, I would have. But I was afraid she might get a hold of it and still still pursue me. (laughs) Okay, she was mean. She was brought on board to clean house in the two departments in which I was working. The public relations department and the fundraising department. The problem was the two uh, directors were really not doing their jobs. I was doing their job. I was carrying both. But her, I was the associate director in both. But her objective was to clean house and bring in her own people. And so she made my life absolutely miserable. I mean, it was abuse. And so you think, well, why don't you go to HR? Well, I go to HR, but this is what the president wanted. (laughs) So didn't really have the recourse. For two years, I lived under an abusive boss who wanted nothing more than for me to leave. And she, and there was no pretending it. She'd call me out, embarrass me in front of my peers, harass me. And every night I'd go home and I'd scream at George, poor George, my husband, 42 years. I always say, thank you, God. Yeah, we lived through that. I'd scream at George and I'd scream at God. Because it was so unjust. I was the one doing everything, working hard. This clearly was not a fair situation. And so I'd cry out to God, you know, where are you? Why aren't you answering me? I just want to quit and go to work for JCPenney or Burger's Bagels because I get up early, early in the morning anyway. (laughs) And, um, And my husband, George, very wise, said, you know what? First of all, if you quit, you are really letting her win. Second of all, you have almost 13 years in the state retirement system. And if you were able to get another job or continue until 25 years and at age 55, you could retire. Now, it wouldn't be the best retirement, but you could retire. And I hated him for it. Because I knew he was right. And so I stuck it out. And what ended up happening was a friend of mine who didn't know what I was going through loaned me a book called Breaking Intimidation. And I was reading that book. And it was as if it was written for me. And what it said was by my you know, cowering and being affected by her and, and letting her, you know, ruin my life. I was basically deferring to her more than I was to God. And I was like, oh, that's like the last thing I want to do. And so I cried out to God and I said, you know, what is your plan in all of this? What's happening? And these were the words she said, and they stung then, and they will sting when I say them. 
the process is the plan. (laughs) I would have wanted to hear anything but that. But why he allowed it was because I had grown up in a very dysfunctional home where my father suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder and was manic depressive, as they call it then. And so most of the time, I just sort of cowered in my room because anything I said, he could blow up and I never wanted to rock the boat. And so God showed me that I had been living under a spirit of intimidation my entire life. And he allowed that circumstance, I'll try not to cry, to break it off. It was for my greater good. He always wants what's best for us. And the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we can affirm that when we go through those dark times and the valleys in the presence of our enemies. So instead of asking why, which is kind of a natural thing to ask, right? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? And we've all had it. We were to ask God, who do you want to be for me in this trial that you have never been for me before? What are you doing in my life that you want to raise up a blessing, a spiritual breakthrough? Because that's trust, right? That's trust. And it only comes, sadly, (laughs) through our suffering. I wish it weren't so. But a lot of times, right? That's when we grow the most because he's brought us through and he's shown us he's faithful. And that's what he wants. So all of life is a test. It is. Every single thing we go through, God is testing us. Now he's not tempting us, but he wants to show us where we're at. And that's what happens during those times. We might think it's hidden. Oh, I'm so pure and holy. (laughs) Super spiritual. Then you get a boss like that, or you come under a situation, or you get in line, and the person in front of you has 4,000 items, and you don't. And you just want to get through the line. We (laughs) Using modern-day analogies. We see what comes out in our hearts, right? Right? The heart. The heart shows up. And also we recognize, the Bible says, that the heart is deceitful above all things. So we can just think we're going along a merry way, life is good, and then we get a cancer diagnosis or we're laid up in the hospital for months on end, suffering, and where is God? But ultimately, he's wanting to use it for our greater good. He's pursuing us with chesed, mercy, and loving kindness. And so just ask him. And also, don't like pretend. I mean, I'm telling you, you know, I was punching pillows and screaming and angry. 
you know, because that's what I feel. God knows those things. So, you know, it's not like he doesn't know them, right? He made us. He knows us. So the ultimate purpose that God has for us is our is our character, not our comfort. And every time we forget that character building is one of God's greatest purposes for our lives, we'll get frustrated. You know, why me? What's happening? Why do I have to go through this? Many Christians interpret Jesus' promise of the abundant life to mean perfect health, a comfortable lifestyle, constant happiness, full realization of our dreams, and instant relief from problems, right? And so we think sort of like my little bottle here, another Disney reference, right? You know, that God is like a genie in the bottle, you know, that we name it and we claim it. We say it, therefore it will be. I don't know about that. Now, I'm not saying that we don't hide the word in our heart. We don't present the word back to God. But it's totally different when we are looking at God as our servant and what we think we need rather than allowing him to be the Lord. Um, yeah, thank you. (laughs) All right. So just because I always forget to to end the story, what ended up happening was I stuck it out and I was then recruited. I mean, by like two or three different people to another job within the state system with a $10,000 on the day I got their raise with a CEO who adored me and he was not easy to work for. And I remember, I, I mean, yeah, I, re- I remember that the, I got an envelope. We had a board meeting. You know, I ran the foundation at Robinson is where this was. And um, there was an envelope on my desk and I saw his, the CEO's name at the time and immediately my heart sunk. You know, like the other shoe's going to drop. We're, we're back where we started. But what it was, it was a complimentary letter saying how well I had run that board meeting and how pleased he was with me. I literally went to the bathroom and cried. No, I'm serious. And God did that. Had I quit, I had lost, as I said, Robinson at the time was county owned. So I had 12 plus years at the medical school, 12 plus years at Robinson. I retired at 55 with 25 years in service to pursue God's call, which is all I've ever wanted to do. And so, you know, it's just, we don't like pain. We don't like pain in our marriage. We don't like pain in our work. We don't like pain and you know, disagreements among people. And so we think we need to leave. Yet God may very well be using that circumstance to teach you the greatest lesson of your life. So in addition to the Romans six, um, I have notes from the book, breaking intimidation uh, on the back table as well by John Bevere. So if it's Something you feel that might be helpful for you just to read. Um, That's why I do what I do, because I I want so much to help 
in any way I can things that people that's what the whole purpose of the book is is about okay so God could have kept Joseph out of jail Daniel out of the lion's den Jeremiah from being tossed into the slimy pit Paul from being shipwrecked three times the three Hebrew men thrown into the fiery furnace but he didn't he let those problems happen and every one of those people were drawn closer to God as a result Paul was faithful yet he ended up in prison John the Baptist was faithful but he was beheaded millions of faithful people have been martyred and lost everything Um, Another quote from a Disney movie, Pocahontas. Sometimes the right path is not the easiest one. A lot of these sort of have a biblical, you know, kind of semblance there. So I know you didn't think that you were going to hear about Disney movies. And Pastor Noel didn't know, so he didn't bring popcorn, but I did. (laughs) But sadly, millions of Christians grow older, but never grow up. Spiritual growth takes an intentional commitment. You know, that's where the word disciple comes from. Discipline. Right? It's just not a cakewalk. We must want to grow, decide to grow, make an effort to grow, and persist in growing. And as I said earlier, we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we try to do it on our own, we'll get discontented and frustrated. Or if we think, you know, I'm okay. I don't really have any sins. I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. Well, guess what? The Bible says you're a liar. (laughs) I'm not saying it. I have the Bible verses. (laughs) If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so the truth is, it's not a one-time deal, you know. Well, I received Jesus in my heart. No, it is every single day. Every morning when you wake up, Lord, guide my thoughts, guide my words, guide my path. Every night when you lay down, I call it the uh, holy cat scan, maybe because I worked in the medical, you know, at the hospital, the medical school. I say, God, if there's anything. Now, normally, quite frankly, I'll already know it. I'll have spoken too quickly. I'll have had an attitude and I recognize it. And I'll confess right then because I don't want to carry it around. Right? So if we confess it, it's gone. And uh, um, Sophia works with my daughter, Samantha, and I'm sorry, but I often use her as, as sort of case examples. You know, when she was little, um, you know, she'd be like a kid and she'd get mad or she'd get into trouble. And, you know, we'd send her to a room for time out and, and all of that. You know, and she'd be pouting and fussing and fuming going up the steps. And I say, Samantha, if you just say, I'm sorry, 
if you just acknowledge what you did was wrong, guess what? Done. Done. I don't want you sitting up there staring at the wall <laughs> for however long based on what you did. If And it's the same thing with God. I don't mean it as an excuse or a license to sin. But when we do, if we just say, Father, I am so sorry. I should never have snapped like that. Immediately go to God. And immediately, what does it say? He forgives us. Takes our sins away from far as the east, from the west. So why would we ever want to live not with that freedom? Which we can access all the time, anytime. And even when we say the Lord's Prayer, again, another thing that we kind of say by rote, where we say, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are basically saying is, not my will, but yours be done. And if you're going to pray that, mean it. Don't just say it. Okay? Because God needs every single one of you. You have influence and people in your life that no one else does. And if you want to be the witness, which I pray we all want to be, what God has called us to do and be, then we need to let that light shine and say, not my will, but yours be done. And again, in your prayer time, if you're struggling, struggle, tell them, tell them, right? I mean, I love, I didn't bring the notes for this because they're very long, but I always recommend it. Walking with God through pain and suffering by Tim Keller, a wonderful minister in New York City that is really, you know, reaching out to the, to the young people. And, um, I have no idea why I mentioned that, <laughs> except that maybe it'll come. See, it's not a note, so I totally forget. It'll come back to me at some point. Um, he want, God wants to entrust us, you know, with the kingdom work. That's why we're here. So we have a choice to make. We will either be world-class Christians or worldly Christians. Worldly Christians look to God primarily for personal fulfillment, saved but self-centered. They want to use God for their purposes instead of being used for his purposes. World-class Christians know that we were saved to serve and to live on mission like all of you do. Your joy, confidence, and enthusiasm are contagious because they know they are making a difference. That's why it made me so happy to hear what Tim said because that is how I want people to remember me. That is what I want them to say, that she was always full of joy, that she was always worshiping, whether she was in church or not, that her life was a living testimony, and I want to be like that. All right, so how does it work? How do we do this? Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where it says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It almost sounds a little contradictory, but it's not. 
there are two parts to spiritual growth. The working out of our salvation is our responsibility, meaning praying, reading, growing, learning. The work within is God's. So to be a healthy disciple of Jesus, we need to feed on God's word all the time. It should be our priority. It shouldn't be like I said, okay, got 20 minutes in the morning, you know, got to have breakfast now, okay? I mean, it should be something we're taking in like food. There are no shortcuts to maturity. While we were given a brand new nature at the moment of our salvation, we still have old habits, patterns, and practices that need to be crucified and replaced. And God will help us. What I like to tell people when I'm praying for them and they're sharing like really heartfelt things, I'm like, do you realize that God wants this even more than you do? That's what a good, loving father does. He wants to provide the way for that healing, for that emotional healing, mental, spiritual, whatever it may be. But again, we have to give him permission. He wants us to live in freedom and fullness of joy. And yet another Disney movie, Wally, where, oh, I love that movie. I don't want to survive, I want to live. And that's how God is with us. We, you know, we, many of us, as I talked about spiritual cruise control, we just kind of want to get through. We just kind of want to get through. But no, God wants us to live. So we need to stop pretending that we're perfect and humbly face the truth about ourselves and deal with those character defects that keep us in this prison of denial. The only way we can do this is with a humble, teachable heart, right? Because God says he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So that's what I mean. He wants it more than you do. He, you know, he gives us these tests, but he wants us to pass the test. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't that be nice if we had that in school? <laughs> you know, not like they say those trick questions on those standardized tests where you think, oh, they're trying to mess me up. No, that's not God, okay? So it's a collaborative work between us and the Holy Spirit. And the first step in spiritual growth is changing the way we think. Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So as we go through our day and various things get our attention and they annoy us and we get frustrated what you're doing is you are thinking on those things. It's not to say they won't affect us, but how we counterbalance that is the word of God. Is the word of God planting it in our hearts, bringing it up. Thou shalt keep me in perfect peace when my heart 
is stayed on you. So if you're not in perfect peace, you're probably fixing your eyes on the news and all the horrible things that are going on in the world. And they are horrible. You have to be a lunatic not to recognize that. Things are bad and they're getting worse. But guess what? He still sits on the throne and he's already told us this is what's going to happen. So, like, why are we surprised? We can't fight the world with carnal things. We won't win. We won't win. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible says. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. The pulling down of strongholds. That means prayer, contrition, humility, engaging those people instead of criticizing them. It's way easier to criticize It's way easier to point out sins of other people. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. No. No. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves. When we stand before God, and every one of us will, we will give an account for every word we say and every action we've done. And we're not obviously under judgment. We have the blood of Jesus that will cover us. But guess what? We will give an account. That should be sobering. That should make you not want to go there. And so uh, James 1, 19 through 25, kind of the essence of the message. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Okay, this is to believers. Okay, this is to the church, to people who already believe. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so, you know, as I mentioned, our Bible study that my husband and I do, that's why we take so long. You know, how do we do this? How do we walk this out? How do we just not give mental assent, but actually do it? And again, it takes discipline. That's why we're called disciples. And so 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That verse 
literally changed my life. Because when I understood what it was saying, it was saying, take captive, lock it up. So when a worrisome thought tries to invade my mind when I'm laying down, getting ready to sleep, I take it captive. No. That's in opposition to God's word. You know, when I get frustrated or say something, no, no, no. I take, and even if it means speaking it out loud so that you finally believe it, I take every thought captive that does not line up with God's word. And that requires, as I said, discipline, practice. We can literally change the way that we think. By meditating on God's word instead of the problem. Because without implementation, you can go to church Monday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every night in between, go to Bible studies. But it's fruitless. You know, if we're just hearing and not doing. So personal application. And, and God doesn't waste anything. As I talked about earlier, he's given us the abilities, the interests, the talents, the gifts, the personality to use them for his glory. And as I said, he will take our most painful experiences and use them in ministry. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that God? Like the one thing, like in my life, you know, and I've talked about this, it's in my book, you know, where um, I experienced sexual abuse as a, as a child. So intimacy and, and uh, you know, locking my feelings up and fear and, and not wanting anything like that to happen to Samantha or, you know, to, to, in my life. So it created this horrible defensiveness in me. And it was locked up inside of me. And when God finally brought it, out in the open, another very difficult time in my life. Samantha can attest to it. We were just going through some really heavy things. And much of it was my fault because I was just being too overprotective because of what had happened to me. And so I recognized with the help of a wonderful Christian counselor that I needed to let, to talk about it, express it. I had totally repressed that memory. Once it came out, it had no power over me. All that shame, you know, that's what happens. People who are sexually abused or other abuse, you think it's your fault, especially as a child. You don't know. You don't know any different. And so you blame yourself. So, you know, inwardly, I was just living this shame-filled, controlling life. And it was hurting my daughter. And God brought it out. And now look at me. Intimacy. That's what I preach. That's what I love. That's what I want everyone who hears my the sound of my voice to experience. So God used what was the worst thing that happened in my life to make it the best thing that could happen in my life. Sorry. <laughs> I like to say the devil gave me a headache. For the first 18 years of my life. And my goal is to give him a headache. For the rest of my life. So we take everything before him. And let him redeem it. 
And, and that's what the book is about. Everything. And you go in your closet and you, and you usher in the presence and you ask God. Again, some of us may not even realize the spirits and the difficult things that, that we've tried to hide because of how painful they are. But God will walk through you with it. I guarantee you. If it doesn't, get your double your money back, okay? I mean, there is no exceptions. He, what does it say? He walks with us. He walks beside us. He goes before us, comes behind us. So if you'll trust him, he can free you from anything, any prison of your past. All right, so every problem is a character-building opportunity. And what happens outwardly in our lives is not as important as what's happening inside. Since God wants to make us like Jesus, he will let us experience the same things that Jesus went through. Loneliness, temptation, stress, criticism, rejection. Right? And, okay, now I'll go back to Tim Keller, which wasn't what I was going to say earlier. But, you know, what he says is that everyone, no matter how horrible, Job, Joseph, all of these you know, people, Jesus is the only one who literally suffered cosmic rejection. And so we know we can always go to him with those things that are troubling us because he has been there before us. And the point was Job, and that's what I was going to say earlier. So he, he points out Job and Joseph in his book. And the reason why Job was successful was because he went to God. He complained, but he went to God, right? He didn't run from God, which is what many of us do, you know, by kind of living complacent lives or whatever. No, he went to God. So God said he was the most faithful man on the, on the earth. And yet he complained to God. So he's our example. He had no idea how it was going to end. And Joseph, I can't even imagine Joseph. I mean, every single time he tried it to write, he was accused of doing wrong. I have to tell you that if that were me, I would not have had, I'm serious. That length of time for what he suffered, I don't know that I would have had the more moral you know, chutzpah, as they say in Yiddish, the moral character to endure what he endured. And yet look what happened. From the prison to the palace, because he endured. And so God calls us to give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, okay? There's a big difference. In all circumstances, we can trust him through this. And we will change as we walk through those things and we allow him. Also, God likes to use weak people. I know, again, you know, we live in a culture. Be strong, tough it out, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, don't let anybody see you cry. Nonsense! That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. You know, it says that we are to share our weaknesses. Paul prayed, take this from me. And then he said, when I am weak, you are strong. That's dependence on God. Recognizing humbly that you can't do it without him. 
And we are to carry each other's burdens. And we are to praise God. This is another one of my favorite verses. Kind of one of my many life verses now. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort with which we have been comforted. Isn't that awesome? So he wants to take, you know, what Satan meant for evil and use it for good to comfort others in their troubles. All right. Um, I'm just going to kind of move along because I know I'm probably going along. Um, we know that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And that is what God calls us to do. We are called to show unconditional love. The sacrificial love that Jesus showed. None of us will most likely be martyred. You know, we may get fun of, right? Made fun of. We may go to jobs where people sneer at us and whatever. But believe me, <laughs> that's nothing compared to the persecution many Christians around the world are facing. And the point is, if we retaliate, if we say, well, you know, I'm as mad as, you know what, I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> Where is the Christian witness? Where is the love of God that calls us to love our enemies? To pray for those who persecute us. To submit ourselves, I know I'm going to get flack on this one, to our leaders. To pray for them doesn't mean we endorse it. It means we show respect and we show that we bring more to the table because we love. And what does the Bible say? Love never fails. Never. I had to look that one up in the Greek. Never. <laughs> never. It never fails. And so... These are the things, the inward sins, you know, again, we can say, oh, I don't smoke, I don't drink, blah, 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 But the inward sins that we all struggle with, pride, anger, haughtiness, self-righteousness. But God has given us, 2 Corinthians 5.18, the ministry of reconciliation, not counting men's trespasses against them. Unfortunately, we're like us four no more. I'm in. I'm good. No. <laughs> He's not counting. That's why it's called the good news. <laughs> good news. And if someone didn't tell us, again, where would we be? So the two verses that I think that I think should be plastered on every Christian's wall as this the road marks, the you know, gauge as to where we are with this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you ought to be able to say next year or next week or next month, am I growing in that? Am I having more love? Love is patient, and I won't read that, but do this. Put your name in there and see if you can honestly say that. Debbie is patient. Mm, not so much. Debbie is kind. 
okay? Then you'll really gauge where you're at. And when we look into the mirror, if we're doing all these things and recognizing our need and giving honor to God, you will be blessed. That's what James said. So I'm going to close with two little short stories or one's a poem. They're both in my book. The first is called The Starfish Story. And this talks to God using us as he's working through us and in us to bring the light, the light to the world. The Starfish Story says, one day an old man was walking along a beach that was littered with thousands of starfish that had been washed ashore on the high tide. As he walked, he came upon a young boy who was eagerly throwing the starfish back into the ocean, one at a time. Puzzled, the man looked at the boy and asked what he was doing. Without looking up from his task, he said, I'm saving these starfish, sir. The old man chuckled aloud, and he said, Son, there are thousands of starfish, and only one of you. What difference can you make? The boy picked up a starfish, gently tossed it into the water, and turned to the man and said, I made a difference to that one. And the last is a reminder. It's a, called The Refrigerator Poem by Max Lucado. And it says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he will listen. He can live anywhere in the universe. And he chose your heart. Face it, friend. He's crazy about you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your attention. Obviously, I had a lot to share. And I pray that you'll digest it you know, in the days and weeks and months ahead. And I think I'm supposed to close by saying, thank you, online crowd. I've always wanted to do that. Because <laughs> where I go to church, I think that's cool. That people are watching who, for whatever reason, can't be here. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for all, everyone's attention. You know, I'll be in the back at the book table and with the other papers. Come look at my little props. It's the teacher and me. And I just want to say thank you for your attention. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. The original version of this message can be found on our website at thelightingkent.com. For more information, you can also reach out to us at info at thelightingkent.com or message us on Facebook.